Hi and hello watchmans and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker, Rob Nudds, and my co-host, Alan Ben-Joseph. As somebody who's worked at the bench and understands the dedication it takes to make it to the very top of this craft, I have to say it is a great pleasure to be welcoming one of modern watchmaking's true masters to the show. We are very honoured to have uh, Mr. Laurent Ferrier, the legendary Mr. Ferrier, here on the show, together with Mr. Robert Bailey, head of sales of the amazing brand Laurent Ferrier. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us, gentlemen. Our pleasure. I had the honor to meet Mr. Ferrier in person back in 2016 during SIHH in Geneva. My French is too poor. Um, so we're very pleased, Robert, that you are willing to help us out and translate this whole um, episode. Um, to dive right in, I'm extremely excited to record this episode together with Rob and the both of you, because I personally have been a huge fan of uh, Mr. Ferrier and also all his work and creations. The first thing that I always meant to ask Laurent, where does his passion for pebbles come from? I ask this because um, one of the most iconic models in the collection are the galet-shaped Cases. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for the very warm introduction. D'où vient votre inspiration ou passion pour les, pour les galets La forme. Alors, la forme du galet a une inspiration de, de, de douceur au toucher. The pebble inspiration, especially, came from basically the, the kind of like the smoothness and the softness of touch uh, when you're putting the watch on, when you're taking the watch off. There's no, uh, there's no sharp angles that they catch, uh, that they catch anywhere. Uh, when you're touching and feeling the watch, it really you have the smoothness. C'est vraiment le galet de, de la mer, hein, donc ce qu'on peut prendre en main quand on est au bord de la mer. So it's, really, it's really inspired from, from sea pebbles uh, that have been you know, rounded and smoothed off by the sea, and when you pick one up, they really have this rounded, soft, uh, soft shape. Amazing. I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I also always loved stones, not only gemstones, but also the pebbles at a river bedding or at the beach. And the funny thing is I just came back from a holiday with my kids, six and two years old. Um, in Italy, it was warm, but not warm enough to swim. So we actually spent hours looking for pebbles and trying to skit them over the water. So I've been thinking about this recording while being in Italy the whole week. So amazing story. Um, it's a tradition on the show to ask what the both of you are wearing today. On your wrist. Donc, euh, je vais répondre donc en fait la question et donc euh, qu'est-ce que nous portons donc euh, euh, donc euh, Laurent is wearing a, a blue shirt uh, a dark blue blazer and uh, and uh, brown chinos uh, I'm wearing a white shirt and grey jeans <laughs> which watches are you wearing to go with those beautiful ensembles <laughs> um, um, so Laurent is wearing a, a Sport Auto and uh, I'm uh, my watch is sitting on my desk um, but it's uh, the Square Micro Rotor uh, retro dial with a silver finish. Very nice, very nice. Uh, so I'm really keen to know exactly what it was that attracted Lauren to watchmaking in the first place, and how did his journey in this industry begin? Qu'est-ce qui a fait que vous avez commencé dans l'industrie horlogère et puis euh, voilà. Bah moi, tout, toute ma famille était, tout le monde était horloger. So yeah, uh, Laurent's entire entire family. Um, were uh, were watchmakers, so he's uh, he's the third generation watchmaker after his grandfather, his father, 
um, and him, uh, himself. Um, said he's, you know, he's always been you know, interested in in watchmaking. Um, when he was about 15 years old, um, his interest in watchmaking probably got overtaken by his interest in uh, in cars and and, uh, and motor racing. But then, as he got a little bit older, his uh, ancestral um, kind of passions uh, came back. The background in car racing is quite fascinating to a lot of us because it's it's hard to reconcile the fact that one man has had two such distinct and excellent careers in two such different fields. But does Laurent see a link between the fields of car racing and high-end watchmaking? And does it appeal to the same aspects of his personality? Or is he just a very multifaceted man? Uh, quel est le, le lien entre l'automobile ou la course automobile et puis, le, et puis les montres et puis est-ce que voilà est-ce que c'est ces deux parties de votre personnalité ou est-ce que est-ce que les deux choses font appel à la même partie de votre votre, votre ah ouais, ouais. l'automobile l'automobile et l'horlogerie vont vont très bien ensemble euh, c'est déjà un, un amour so basically you're saying you know it's a, a little bit of a little bit of both and, you know, in some ways you know they're, they're similar so they're, you know they're artistic and they're, they're, they're mechanic and they really are the two you know the two the two loves for uh, you know for a man so car racing and uh, and, and watchmaking there are different links between the, between the two uh, or he says you know definitely used to be said so, you know maybe today's young generation are maybe more interested in interplanetary missiles but uh, back in his day it was definitely uh, cars and car racing um and says you know but there are a few differences notably that you know the speed and the racing aspect that you get with the cars which you don't get with uh, with the watches very interesting and i have to ask the obvious question and uh, it may be obvious but i'm sure it isn't that easy with such a long history of car fanaticism but what is lauren's favorite car and you could i mean you can give me a list if you want a list of some of the best and why um qui vous demande voilà, quelle est votre voiture préférée donc euh, s'il y en a plus qu'une euh, voilà vous pouvez lui donner une liste et puis euh, il faut savoir pourquoi c'est très très <laughs> difficile de dire quelle est la plus belle montre du monde ou la plus belle voiture du monde ou la plus belle femme du monde uh, uh, So it's a, you know, there's a, it's always a difficult question to, to answer. Like, you know, what's your favorite uh, car? It's a bit like what's your favorite watch, which is a bit like what's your favorite, uh, you know, your favorite woman. Uh, you know, there's many, many, uh, you know, beautiful examples of, uh, of all of those different, uh, all of those different things. Um, I think you've got to be particularly careful answering one of those questions. <laughs> the other ones you can have some fun with, but there's one of those questions that might get you into a bit of trouble. <laughs> um, uh, and so Laurent says that if he if he really had to choose, um, his choice would be a, a 1970s, 1980s uh, Porsche 911. Um, the reason being that it's uh, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a great piece of engineering. It's uh, you know it's uh, it's a you know, very mechanical car. There's there's, there's uh, not much electronics in in the car uh, and that it really is a, a beautiful uh, a beautiful piece and it's a bit like watches in some way that you know it's not the most complicated you know the fastest most extravagant car but it's uh, you know it's very good at what it uh, at what it does fascinating a very good choice of course i'm sure a lot of our listeners will have the same feelings themselves uh, that is one of the most beautiful cars ever made we did touch briefly on the next generation you mentioned that perhaps the younger generation have slightly different interests from from our generations, but that leads me to wonder: Are you grooming a successor to take over the company and take it in a new direction and keep it relevant to the next generation that's going to follow? Uh, donc, uh, donc voilà, on parle voilà de, de future generation. 
donc voilà, est-ce que est-ce que vous préparez un successeur voilà pour reprendre reprendre le, la société et peut-être peut-être l'emmener dans une dans une nouvelle direction pour pour faire appel euh, à, à une clientèle plus jeune. Bah, le, le, le successeur théoriquement, en tout cas au niveau technique et au niveau artistique, c'est mon fils puisque lui dès le début on a commencé ensemble. Donc ça fait 15 ans avec François Servanin, on était vraiment les trois. Et, et lui s'occupait de la partie euh, mécanique. Le successeur, le successeur, will be his son, uh, Christian, um, who has been in the company since, uh, since the beginning. So right at the very, very beginning of, uh, of the company, when it was um, it was just Laurent, uh, his teammate from the Le Mans 24 Hours, um, uh, François Salvanin, and um, and and his son Christian. There were just the three of them. Um, There's just the three of them in the, uh, you know, in the, in the company. So he knows everything right from the beginning and he's been sharing an office with, uh, with Laurent since the, uh, since the start. Uh, and he really, you know, he really has, you know, understood and kind of Laurent's passed on, uh, you know, a lot of his, uh, you know, the kind of, you know, his wishes and his beliefs and his, you know, his design, uh, creativity to his son Christian. Um, you know, the idea for at least the next five or 10 years is that we wouldn't massively change direction. We would remain a, you know, a classic brand. Uh, and continue doing what we are what we're doing now. Yeah. That said, you know there are there are small improvements to to make. Fundamentally, we're we're pretty satisfied with the track that we're uh, that we're on. Thank you so much. And it's amazing to hear that um, the next generation is so much involved in this amazing brand. Um, actually, the, the the brand history is very very interesting for our listeners that are not that familiar with the brand Lafayette. Would you mind? Give us an intro. What led up to 2009 when Mr. Feuillet, at the age of 63, founded the company? Um, I believe it was together with Francois Sylvanin. So the two of them went out at a young age, but already a huge track record. And maybe they could also elaborate what their vision is for the next decade, and especially also for Christian Fourier, Mr. Fourier's son, um, how they see the industry and the brand itself. So where do they want to take it? Dans sa question, donc, la, la première étant, voilà, donc, euh, quelle était votre, votre motivation, inspiration en, en 2009 voilà, de, de, de fonder la société avec, euh, avec François L'histoire, c'était qu'il y a, en 1979, j'avais offert une Nautilus à François Servanin. Et quand on se, on se rencontrait, il me disait Laurent, Patek Philippe est la plus belle marque du monde. So the, so the, the first part of the question that I that I asked Laurent was basically, you know, the, what was his motivation, inspiration to, to set up the brand in uh, in 2009. So it was uh, in in 1979, uh, Laurent offered a uh, Patek Philippe Nautilus uh, to François Salvanin, uh, who was his teammate at the Le Mans 24 Hours. And uh, back in the day, uh, you know, François said, you know, it's a It's a beautiful watch, and it really is a, a, you know, a nice, uh, you know, really beautiful watch. But you, you can't get hold of them, and so that's where the idea came from: was to, you know, to set up their their own uh, their own brand. And he's saying you know, it's a bit like a you know, kind of vacation talk when you're sitting by the beach, and he's saying instead of going back to the office in Geneva, uh, should we set up a should we set up a restaurant? That was originally the, you know, the, the kind of discussion that it uh, kind of discussion that, uh, that it was. But then in 2008, it, you know, this uh, this kind of you know this This dream became became reality, and uh, and they they embarked on this uh, on this adventure. 
um, it was also uh, kind of crucial that, uh, that that Christian was uh, was part of the uh, part of the adventure from the from the beginning. So he was uh, working uh, as a uh, movement constructor for Roger Dubuis at the uh, at the time, and that was one of the key elements for for Laurent to uh, to start the brand. And he uh, he joked that if uh, if Christian was a was a baker, um, then they probably wouldn't have embarked on this uh, on this adventure. Et puis donc la, la deuxième partie de la, la question était euh, voilà comment est-ce que tu vois l'évolution des, des choses dans les, les cinq ou dix prochaines années à, à venir. Bah ça ça fait longtemps que l'horlogerie évolue de manière assez curieuse. D'un côté les pièces classiques ont toujours un immense succès. As Laurent basically what the um, you know what he sees the trend in the next five to ten uh, years being. Um, and his reply was that yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah there's some things there'll always be like a place for you know, for classic traditional watches and watchmaking there. Uh, and then as is already the case today, is you, know, you have brands, independent brands uh, who produce some you know, wonderful and, and and crazy things um, that you know that are very appreciated and change uh, change the uh, and change the market. The example he cited was uh, was uh, was Richard Mille. Um but he says, uh, but who knows what's coming? You know, it's uh, you know, if, if we knew, uh, we should, you know, we'd certainly, uh, you know, we'd very much like to know if we could what, what's coming over the next ten years. But he really believes that there will be uh, a place for the kind of watches that we make for the next five or ten years. For those that are maybe not so familiar with uh, the brand DNA and style code, you've mentioned classic several times up until now. And with the pedigree and the track record of Mr. Ferrier, uh, starting at Patek Philippe, working with Roger Dubuis, you cannot expect anything else than being the utmost quality with the amazing mechanical pieces you produce. But could you give a quick intro what the brand and the collection embodies? So Um, if you need it, let's say to call it an elevator pitch for somebody that's new to the brand. Um, and, and, and what are your USPs? So where does the brand offer you stand out compared to the landscape we see now in watchmaking slash independent watchmaking? Comment est-ce qu'on se, se distingue de la, de la concurrence? Que faisons-nous nous de, de différents par rapport aux, aux autres? Um, c'est très difficile de dire qu'on se distingue des autres parce que tous les horlogers indépendants. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult question to ask, as you know, in terms of you know, what's a USP? Because I think you know, many or most independent watch brands, you know, we have similar objectives. It's really to you know, to produce something of the highest you know, highest quality that we that we possibly can. Um, and uh, you know, and, and to do something that's aesthetically pleasing, and Laurent, you know, his um, you know, his his, uh, his philosophy is that you know, is to make watches that are you know beautiful to, to to look at, that they feel comfortable on the wrist, and they look uh, they look nice on the wrist, uh, and that they're also pleasant to you know to, to manipulate and to, to wind up. Um, you know, our uh, you know our, our real you know, objective and our, our aim is to make the, the highest quality watches that we can from a mechanical and from a, an aesthetic perspective uh, and that's really what we uh, what we focus on is uh, is those two things is really kind of you know, the, you know, the aesthetics uh, and the uh, and the mechanical perfection as, as much as we can um, but then you know aesthetics are, are very subjective you know so it all depends what you know what one finds beautiful you know we find our watches beautiful but you know they they maybe don't appeal to, to everybody i think that's your strength and it 
your watches are understated elegance and you both of you on this show prove that you're very modest um the way i present uh, the brand to collectors is that it's an holistic qualitative brand it starts from inside out with amazing designed and manufactured calibers in-house so that's also a question of mine of how much you do in-house and um it oozes subtleness and 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 discretion uh you watch it but with a hint of retro vibes but very still contemporary um maybe you could answer the question is it form follows function do you start with the caliber when you design a watch or is it a symbiosis of both or do you look what's not out there yet and then you create a watch that's not been produced before la, la dernière question voilà c'est que, donc voilà la première question c'est voilà quel qu'est-ce qui est fait en interne donc, euh, donc quel, euh, quel, quel, quel euh, quelles opérations est-ce que vous en interne et puis la deuxième question était euh, quelle euh, comment est-ce que nous concevons une une, euh, une montre est-ce qu'on commence avec le, le mouvement et puis ensuite l'habillage, l'habillage vient après ou est-ce que c'est plutôt l'habillage qui vient en premier et ensuite le, le mouvement Bon, alors, concernant les pièces qui sont faites à l'interne, tout est conçu chez nous, de, de, du mouvement euh, aux aiguilles euh, jusqu'au bracelet. Donc, on dessine tous les composants et après... In, uh, in response to the, the first question, so basically everything is drawn uh, and designed and all the conceptualization is done internally by, by us. So you know, every component, so every every bridge, every uh, every wheel, every uh, needle, hand, uh, so every, every hand, case, uh, dial, everything is done, uh, is, is designed by, by us. Um, but then we, uh, we subcontract the, the production to uh, external suppliers, ones that Laurent has known for, for many, many years, uh, even in you know, the, the big companies that they have these uh, you know, very, very, very uh, high uh, high quality suppliers to make exceptional you know, components for, for their exceptional high-end pieces. Uh, and we, uh, you know, we, uh, we reach out to them to, to, to manufacture the, the, uh, the components. And then we do all of the assembly and all of the finishing, the polishing, etc. Uh, it's all done by us uh, in house, so that we can guarantee the level of quality uh, that we uh, that we're striving for. Um, then, in response to your des- uh, second question, um, in terms of uh, how does the design process work? You know, do we start with the movement and then uh, design the case afterwards, or uh, vice versa? So we start with the uh, with the movement. So we we design the movement, the size of the movement. Uh, the complications that it wants to, uh, you know, that, that it has, uh, and then basically the, the the case and the dial, etc., is adapted to the the movement side. So when Laurent was uh, designing the very very first tourbillon, he he had a very clear image you know, in his head uh, what case he you know, he wanted to put around it. But he started with the movement in the in the first place, and then the the, the case was fine tuned to fit around that uh, around that movement. Would you ever consider being part of a major group if you were approached, or maybe you have been approached in the past? Uh, la, la question, voilà, est-ce que est-ce que est-ce que est-ce que considérer faire part d'un, d'un grand groupe? Uh, voilà, est-ce que est-ce qu'on a eu des voilà, des propositions? Uh, Bon, l'idée n'est pas de faire partie d'un grand groupe parce que ça, ça enlève toute l'indépendance justement qui nous caractérise et qui peut faire lorsqu'on a on a fait le so, um, there's, there's no there's no objective to be to be part of a group 
um, because that would, you know, I think that would it would remove a lot of, you know, the the, the core of who we are. You know, the, you know, the independence that we have allows us to do a lot of a lot of things. Uh, and the example that Laurent gave was that you know, the the very first uh, tourbillon was a you know a, you know a round tourbillon uh, in a gold case with a, an enamel dial. And he says that you know in a, you know, the creative uh, the creative council or the creative body of a of a large group would have surely not allowed. Uh, you know, a brand uh, to make yet yet another you know yet, yet another watch. Uh, you know, like the the hundreds of other examples that, that there are out there. But being independent allows you to kind of make those decisions and really kind of like you know see your ideas and see your dreams through right to the end, uh, which is a bit more difficult in a in a larger group. So we have no plans to be part of a of a group anytime soon. Is that something that Laurent picked up? During his time at Patek Philippe, or something that was instilled in him by the family from a young age. Ah, est-ce que le voilà le l'attrait ou la 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 valeur d'être une marque indépendante est-ce que c'est quelque chose que voilà que vous avez appris ou que vous avez euh, bon, ressenti chez 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 Patek Philippe. Ah bah Patek Philippe était vraiment une boîte indépendante. Il y avait il y avait un patron et c'est lui qui décidait. Si vous voulez quelque chose de bleu. Thing, yeah, yeah, of course, yes, of course, it, it came from, you know, like a, this, this, uh, you know, the examples of that came from, from Patek Philippe. Uh, it's a, it's a privately owned company. And, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, when the decision is made, for instance, to make a, to make a blue dial, then a blue dial is made. You know, there's, there's no, uh, yeah, they, they don't check with a board or with a creative, a creative board or creative, uh, creative council. Uh, they just go ahead. Um, cause if you, you know, if you ask, if you ask a group of 10 people, if they want to do something, There'll always be somebody who who won't agree. Um, so it is, you know, the advantage of uh, you know independent brands like like Batek is that, you know, that once a decision is made, it it goes ahead. Earlier on, we mentioned the Patek Philippe Nautilus, of course, and the essential part it played in the story of Lauren's own brand. And one of the most iconic things about that watch is the bracelet, of course. And very recently, you developed your own integrated bracelet for the sport line. And I'm a huge fan of sports watches in general, but especially those with integrated bracelets. And I was wondering, did you do that consciously to try and tap into a new demographic? Or was it something to do with capitalizing on the very noticeable trend uh, that many luxury brands have gone through to create that integrated sports watch to try and take the place of the unavailable models such as the Royal Oak and the Nautilus. Donc il demande sur le développement de la sport auto. Est-ce que est-ce qu'elle a été conçue pour faire appel à une nouvelle clientèle, voilà des clientèles plus plus jeunes, ou est-ce que c'était vraiment pour voilà pour offrir voilà offrir une alternative aux marques comme la Royal Oak, Nautilus, etc. qui était qui n'était pas disponible. Alors, les, les deux, euh, ça faisait déjà quelques années que des clients nous disaient, mais faites-nous une pièce sportive avec un bracelet métal. It was both things that, you know, that is, at the same time, trying to appeal to a different, uh, different clientele, and, and then also to offer you know, an alternative to, uh, you know, to the, you know, to the iconic uh, sports watches that are, you know, are much more difficult to, uh, much more difficult to, uh, to obtain. Um, the big challenge that we that we faced in the development of this watch is that, you know, we obviously didn't want to, you know, to imitate too closely or to, or to, or to copy. Uh, you know the other the other iconic watches that are out there, like the Nautilus, the Royal Oak, or you know even the the Daytona, which are which are all beautiful beautiful watches. We really wanted to make something that's you know really uh, you know a Laurent Ferrier and it's a sports watch in its own right. 
um, without you know without uh, imitating uh, any of the other ones that are uh, that are out there. Um, and the feedback that we that we've had so far is that we you know we hope to have we hope to have accomplished that we you know we, that we you know we haven't you know, remade one of the the washers that have you know that exists already that we've done something that's uh, you know hopefully everybody would agree is our, our own style. Like Rob, I mutually love sport watches and watches with integrated bracelets also very much. So when you launched in 2019 the Grand Sport Tourbillon, I was blown away. Loved the watch since then. Most recently, you launched the golden brown version, and I'm in love. So congratulations on that. Um, two questions regarding that specific watch. You often limit the production of a specific model to 24 pieces. My guess it's because of Le Mans. Is that correct? <laughs> so that's so that's the race inspired um, uh, DNA there. Um, more technically, why I keep on saying that you are very modest and discreet is you hardly see tourbillon calibers where the tourbillon is not visible at the front end. Um, that's the utmost discretion in watchmaking. Why did you opt for a double balance spring? Um, uh, donc, donc voilà, donc, euh, il dit voilà qu'il adore les montres de sport et puis qu'il qu trouve euh, il était très content de voir la, la pièce mm -hmm. dans 2019 et puis qu'il a la pièce en, en or avec le, le cadran le cadran en chocolat. Euh, et puis euh, la question qui te qui te pose. Uh, it, voilà. it, regarding the, the double spiral, so the double spiral was really uh, really chosen for you know, reasons of, uh, of chronometrical uh, precision. So when a, uh, uh, like a tourbillon spiral is is uh, is uh, unwinding, if you like, is the spring is is loosening, um, it pulls slightly on the uh, the axle of the balance wheel. So basically, in order to compensate that, so there's there's uh, the two spirals are. Uh, are set uh, 180 degrees so that when they when they unwind they pull in opposite directions and the the, the resulting impact uh, on the axle of the balance wheel is uh, is uh, is mitigated so it's, it's net uh, net zero so they really found that it really brought the kind of uh, you know uh, uh, an improvement in the you know in the, in the rate of the watch the way that the watch works uh, which is why it was uh, it was added into into that uh, to increase the precision of the uh, of the movement and uh, and of the watch the 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 second question regarding why our uh, tourbillon are visible from the or only from from the back um, so uh, Laurent's, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, analogy uh, comparison was connecting to, to motor cars um, and saying that, you know, when you have a, you know, a beautiful engine in a car and a turbo, like, you know, you don't have a glass, uh, a glass bonnet or a glass hood um, so that you can see the engine inside. It's, uh, it's always, uh, it's always closed. You know, it's in there, but it's, uh, you know, you don't see it from, uh, from the outside. Um, and it's something that was, uh, you know, something that he he learned at Batek Philippe, and you know, Batek Philippe, they you know, they always close the, they always close the uh, close the dial, and it's something that he you know, he very much uh, likes and, and and believes in, um, uh, and you know, to keep the very clean, uh, clean, uh, clean dial. Um, he said that we we did try um, you know, making the tourbillon visible on a few uh, a few watches uh, in the past, but the you know the result wasn't anything extraordinary. Um, didn't increase the appeal for the watches, uh, and so it's something that we didn't we didn't pursue. We went back to the 
you know, to the the core uh, the, the core kind of uh, idea of, of keeping the tourbillon visible only from the from the back. I am a huge fan of this, by the way. I just have to say and jump in. I know Alan's got plenty of follow up questions after this, but I adore the fact that you keep the tourbillon hidden on the back, and I, I frequently wish brands would do this more often because it's just a very classy move and it just allows the whole design to breathe without being interrupted or overtaken by a tourbillon just a comment so thank you is what i'm saying thank you for that we disagree a lot rob and i but on on these two facts um we definitely agree the integrated sports uh, models and hiding away the tourbillon um i'm very curious what is laurent's favorite complication it can be in your own collection but it can also be out of your collection uh quelle est votre complication préférée je pense fait partie de votre collection ou pas mais le quantième annuel est une est une belle belle complication he really uh, he really likes and he really believes in uh, in useful complications um, so the you know the example that he that he cited is the, the annual calendar um, and yeah the, this this complication allows you to see the the day the date uh, and then it adjusts at the end of every month uh, so you know something that is very uh, very very useful um, and said so, you know you know there's other complications that <laughs> can be can be useful but seldom are like and the examples that he cited was a was a was a minute repeater you know saying that you know if you're in the dark and you know you can't see the time you know it, it could be useful you know to, to you know have a minute repeated to know the to know the time uh and the same way in a chronograph that is very very much uh you know the fashion at the moment in, in reality they they never get used you know people have never actually use the, the the complication so he says you know the annual calendar is you know is, you know, is still today uh, a very useful complication uh and the second one he added on to that as well is a, a dual time gmt that is a useful complication if you're, you know, if you're traveling to, to Asia, to, to Singapore, uh, that you still have, you know, the, the time in Singapore and the time back home in Geneva uh, displayed simultaneously. Does that mean we'll never see a minute repeater and or chronograph by the brand Laurent Ferrier? <laughs> Est-ce que, est que ça, cela veut dire qu'on qu ne verra jamais une répétition minute euh, ou euh, un chronographe de, de Laurent Ferrier? Si, si, un, un jour, un jour. Well, uh, Laura says uh, one day uh, maybe uh, why not? But I'll, uh, I'll elaborate a little bit more. So we, we actually we have had a minute repeater in in the past uh, that that was part of our collection uh, previously, um, but it was not something that we uh, that we uh, that we managed ourselves. So it was not something it was kind of you know with an external partner that we had that that movement. Uh, and now you know really all of our movements have been. Designed, conceptualized, uh, and they're all assembled and polished and finished in house. Uh, and the minute repeat, unfortunately, didn't fit those criteria. And so it was. Uh... Thank you for that, because I expected, as a great uh, racer that he is, he would have made chronograph watches. So it's interesting to hear that he has a different perspective on that, actually. W watch this space, I think. It's probably the best. Uh... Interesting. See, Rob. Well, see, Rob, we have a scoop here, an international scoop. So uh, thank you for that, gentlemen. <laughs> what is Laurent's personal grail watch? He's seen so much. He's made so much in his, his life and career. Does he actually have a grill watch? And it can be a non-Laurent Fourier watch, of course. Uh, I'll ask him the question, even though I, I know the answer. Laurent <laughs> <laughs> 
Ben, j'ai travaillé tellement longtemps chez Patrick Philippe, je, je reste quand même un amoureux des, des pièces. So you're saying that yeah, after having worked for for so many years chez chez Patrick, uh, uh, sorry, at uh, at Patrick Philippe, that you know, obviously he you know he really has a you know big admiration and a big love for for Patrick Philippe watches. And, you know, if he if he really had to you know to, to say uh, you know, the Nautilus you know, is probably uh, it's probably one of his uh, his favorite watches, but he did add you know that it's it is. It is difficult once again. There's, there's so many beautiful watches out there. There's so many beautiful timepieces. It's very, very hard to put your finger on, uh, put your finger on one. Um, but he said that the, you know, the, the, the classic tourbillon, the, the first watch that they released, um, you know, that watch really is uh, his, his dream watch. So everything that he, you know, he wished to put into a watch, um, he did, you know, from, from the hands to the dial to everything. Uh, it was, you know, really his, uh, you know, he didn't know if it was going to be the only occasion he would have to make his, his dream watch. And so he put really everything in there that he, uh, he'd always wished to, to see in a watch. That's interesting to know. Does that mean that the watches that he's managed to create since have been much more difficult to, to, to pull from his, his mind somewhere? Is, is there still the same hunger to create those new things is is it an attractive challenge is it more attractive in some ways because he already ticked off the box with the first effort donc il, il dit que il, il pose la question est-ce que maintenant que vous avez euh, vous avez conçu le, 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 le tourbillon classique est-ce que maintenant que est-ce que les autres pièces par la suite étaient, étaient plus difficiles pour vous voilà vu que vous n'avez pas eu la même inspiration que non, pour, non. La, pour la première non non l'inspiration de la première c'était vraiment une envie une envie particulière de so so it's saying uh, not at all it was not more difficult it's um, as basically it's the same approach and the same philosophy to to all the to all the watches whereas the the the, the, tour, the classic tourbillon at the beginning really was the carte blanche and was the first step to you know, to produce uh, you know, the, the the watch of his uh, of his dreams um, you know he didn't stop there you know carried on uh, designing and drawing and, uh, and developing uh, developing new things. Um, but the, the design philosophy is always the same. That, you know, when you turn the watch over, that you you know really are you're blown away. You have this kind of wow effect by the by the aesthetics and the level of finishing uh, when you see the when you see the watch. You know, at different different levels of complication uh, and uh, and finishing. Whereas you know in a, in a Tourbillon Classique, you have 31 internal angles. Uh, you know, on on the you know, the more simple watches, you you have less, but still. Uh, you know the same care and, and dedication and, and precision in finishing is put into uh, is put into all the watches. That's good to hear. Now, obviously, Lauren's career is one of the most decorated in watchmaking history, and certainly one of the most frequently lauded. And he has an amazing and he has an amazing array of experience that many people couldn't even imagine. What I'd like to know is what would he do differently if he could go back and change something? What did he learn over that career that? Has made him reconsider some past action. On aurait peut-être fait moins de modèles rapidement. On est allé très vite. On a fait beaucoup de modèles. So he's saying that basically that things at the beginning they started a bit too fast. Uh, and that they they launched too many uh, you know, different models and different calibers too uh, too quickly. 
you know, in the end, I suppose we, you know, we're lucky in you know, the, the, the introduction of a, of a new caliber didn't cannibalize sales of, uh, of the previous one. So, you know, overall, like, you know, each, each caliber performs well and, and has its own niche. But I think if he did it again, he'd probably space it out a bit more. You know, having a new caliber every year. Uh, was probably a little bit too you know, quicker rate of release and it would have been better to, to spread that out a little bit more. With such a vast and long track record, I'm very curious what does Laurent see as the highlight of his career? I have a guess, but I'm curious what he would say. Quel était bon, le, le, le meilleur moment de votre, de votre carrière? Ah ben, je dois dire, quand on a gagné le Grand Prix de l'horlogerie la première année... It was certainly an, an emotional moment, I think, is, uh, is the way that he describes it. it was the it was winning the first uh, Grand Prix de l'Horlogerie for the uh, for the tourbillon? Um, yeah, it was, yeah, they they just started uh, in the venture. Uh, you know, they they, they they weren't at all sure if you know what they were doing was right, if it would be well received, if it would be well appreciated. Uh, you know, they they just started out. It's literally it's, you know, it was not even a year after the. After they after they started out and they won this uh, won this prize, that was a, a very very emotional moment for for Laurent. Um, even more so that they they weren't originally signed up for the for for the Grand Prix because um, you know you know yet another classic tourbillon with an enamel dial. They they didn't think they had any uh, any chance. Um, but then they met one of the the jury members in uh, in the United States and he encouraged them to uh, to uh, you know to sign up. Um, and so, yeah, against uh, all expectations, uh, they won. And once again, that was a very, uh, a very emotional moment for uh, for Laurent. Juste la première montre qu'on faisait avec mon fils. Yeah. Donc c'est aussi quelque chose de particulier, je pense. Yeah, and it was also yeah, the, the first watch that was, uh, you know, that he'd worked on with his uh, with his son. So, so you know that, that that made it even even more special. I was wondering on your website, you have pricing, but no buy button. So I assume you don't. Do e-commerce. There is a owners club on the website. Blending this all together, what's your view on e-commerce, and how do you guys view the certified pre-owned market? And do you have ambition to start selling pre-owned Laurent Ferrier watches yourself? Donc la la question, moi je peux répondre si tu veux. Donc c'est voilà concernant les 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 ventes en ligne. On a des prix. C'est ce qu'on disait, les gens ont besoin de toucher. Comme on, est quand on a des montres quand même qui, sont, qui sont relativement simples esthétiquement, il faut mm. que les gens puissent les mettre au poignet, les porter, les toucher. Donc, oui, en termes de. Donc, online sales, so, um, you know, we don't see it for, for our brand as being a, a really, uh, you know, a big growth driver in our, in our business. Um, mainly because you know people really they have to feel the watches they have to try them on they have to you know yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's much harder to buy a watch like a Laurent Ferrier watch just by seeing a picture online you really have to you know be in be in contact uh, be in contact with it so you know we will yeah we'll, we'll most of our most of our sales we will continue to do uh, through the uh, through the traditional uh, routes um in terms of uh, cpo um it's something you know that we you know we're, we're, we're definitely not uh, not against and you know once you know once there are watches out in the market there's obviously going to be second hand sales and and so i think it's better to be you know we think it's you know, it's better to be kind of involved in that process and be able to offer the best level of service to you know to the customers uh, you know, at all these different levels. Um, so we will probably, yeah, we will probably move into that, you know, into that segment sometime in the next year or two. 
We really appreciate this time sitting with you and the openness and amazing feedback we've got. Um, one of the reasons for us to start this new podcast series is to share the passion, the knowledge about watchmaking and to um, motivate and inspire younger generations. So my last question for Laurent is with such a legend in the watchmaking industry, what is his advice for the next generation entering the watch industry pour la prochaine génération de, de, de personnes qui alors moi j'ai un exemple qui est assez particulier qui fait qui m'a fait très plaisir c'est qu'au départ la, les, les pièces que nous réalisions étaient dans ma tête plutôt pour des, des quadragénaires des quinquagénaires des gens d'un certain âge et la première pièce micro rotor que nous avons vendue au japon et il se trouvait qu'on qu allait là-bas 15 jours après avoir livré la première pièce. Et le client avait... So, Laurence basically gave, a, gave an example of uh, when, when we launched the, the micro-rotor. Um, the first piece was sold in, in Japan and the, the, the Laurent was in Japan and we uh, supposed to meet this client. And to his big surprise, when he met this client, he was a, a very a very young guy that showed up in pink Bermuda shorts and a, an Oxford uh, an Oxford shirt. Um, and, he, you know, they were quite surprised. You know, they, they saw their kind of clientele as more people in their 40s and their, their 50s. And, and so they were they were quite surprised that it appealed to somebody of that uh, of, uh, of that age. But I think your question was more in terms of uh, the people that, more kind of on the on the brand side like if they want to start out uh what is his what his advice would be is, is that right it's correct so for those that want to work in the watch industry in whatever field but maybe specifically as a watchmaker or aiming to start their own watch brand yeah donc en fait il a, il repose la question c'est surtout uh, quels seraient vos conseils à quelqu'un qui uh, qui veut commencer à travailler dans l'industrie horlogère uh, peut-être même lancer sa propre marque être horloger etc euh, quels seraient vos, vos conseils à, à... Mais il y a, y a beaucoup de jeunes horlogers qui sont qui sont doués et qui ont envie de monter leur marque. Et je pense que his his advice is really like do 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 what you what you want to do. Uh, don't you know, don't look at trends and you know and, and be like you know say in a year or two years you know this will be the market trend so you have to produce something to to appeal to that trend or to satisfy that trend. Really, yeah, do what you want to do. Uh, and uh, that's your best chance of succeeding. Guys, what a pleasure it was to speak to you today. Thank you, Laurent, for your time. Thank you, Robert, for stepping in and helping us with the translation. It really is a seminal moment for The Real Time Show, and we're really proud to have welcomed you both as guests. If you would like to get in touch with us, please contact me via Instagram at Rob Nudds, that's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or Alon, also on Instagram at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. You can also contact us via email if you prefer. I am rob at therealtime.show and Alon is alon at therealtime.show. Next week, we'll be answering more of your questions, so get them in as quickly as you can if you want to be part of the show. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. Keep on ticking.